0: If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the
1: podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lilovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi
0: everyone, this is Joel Lilovich. And Lucy Dickens, welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. Today's guest is somebody who I connected with a year or so ago online when I was writing a different blog and we connected over shared values and goals specifically around working parents and she's one of the first people who I met, albeit online, who I felt really understood where I was coming from with what was going on for me at that time which was trying to understand the shift, the identity shift as who I had become now that I had A baby and that I was still working as well. So we're very pleased to invite Ursula onto the podcast to share some of her
1: message with you. Ursula Tavender is the founder of the UK company Mum Believable. After struggling with her own shift in identity and loss of personal and professional confidence after becoming a mother, Ursula started her mission to support and empower a million mums to rebuild their confidence and reconnect with themselves. She does this through live events, online programs and confidence-boosting products. She also works with companies to engage and help retain talented employees by developing bespoke in-house live events to help them regain confidence and to manage the emotional and logistical demands of being a working parent. She's also a mother of two boys, five-year-old Zav, and two-month-old Neo. Now, Neo makes a very special appearance in the podcast today. You will hear him regularly cooing away in the background and it's lovely to listen to.
0: Oh, it's so adorable. It's a sound that we should all get used to because my baby can join us
1: on the podcast. <laughs> Only I a few more months.
0: <laughs> yeah, lovely. We had some really interesting conversations with Ursula about all sorts of matters relating to confidence and identity around Becoming a mother, and also about dealing with the shift in um, again in identity, with associated with returning to work and managing the career and
1: family juggle. And it's very timely that we're sharing Ursula's interview with you today because we're still in Mental Health Month, and Ursula has some great messages around kindness, courage, and the need to have some self compassion. So sit back and enjoy listening. Enjoy. Hi, Ursula. Thanks so much for joining us today. I know how difficult it can be when you've got an eight-week-old baby. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: The question we like to start with all our guests, and especially with you because you're there with your new little baby. (sighs) What time did you start your day today? So
2: my day didn't really start. It's just one long, continuous (laughs) day at the moment. I remember looking at my phone at 4.41, thinking, "Now he's actually up now. You know, when you're trying to kind of get them to go back to sleep, and then they don't um so yeah four forty one is probably the time when I resigned myself that my day was starting, <laughs> but that's not normal because, as you say i 've got an eight week old so um so yeah, that's today, but hopefully soon that should start to get a little bit later normally it's about half past six
1: What time does your oldest son normally wake up in the morning he's about
2: six thirty right. so uh so yeah, he 's got a lot later as he's got older. he used to be a five o'clocker
1: oh.
0: Yeah, we have early birds in this house too, but I love how specific you are with the time 4:41. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> paid well, it. It's just
2: resignation, isn't it? That oh, I, yeah, that's my day. <laughs> I'm not going back to sleep now.
0: <laughs> Now, before we get into the nitty gritty about your message, I really wanted to talk to you about this, um, which is breastfeeding. Now, obviously, this isn't a podcast about breastfeeding, but you're breastfeeding now. And you posted yep. online recently about how you um, when you were presenting at a conference with Baby Neo and that you breastfed on the stage and while you were giving the presentation, which I think is pretty cool.
2: Thank you. Um, That wasn't actually intentional at all. And I didn't do it to make a statement or make a point in any way. I did it because I was invited to speak at this event and I really wanted to do it. And I committed to it before he was born. And of course, I've had a baby before, I've breastfed before. You forget how demanding it is and that it's all the live long day. So he wouldn't settle. And I I took the sling with me um, and I thought, well, I'll I'll just feed him because otherwise... Yeah, you know, he's just going to cry. And I, I didn't want his cries to kind of overpower what the other panellists were saying. Um, and equally, I didn't want to, to leave. Um, so I thought I will do it. And it wasn't just because it was at an event of people talking about, you know, we were discussing flexible working. And it was an audience of predominantly people who, you know, were, were mums, and also people who are looking for flexible working it wasn't just because of that I would have done it in front of any audience I don't have a problem with breastfeeding publicly and I've never covered him either because I think you know I didn't really want to eat my food with a tea towel <laughs> over my head so you know why would he yeah. but equally I do find myself kind of braced a little bit when I go out in public and I'm breastfeeding public I'm always kind of not ready for a fight because that sounds <laughs> a bit antagonistic but you know I'm just I'm just ready in case of a little bit of Resistance, I suppose, and that's a shame. That's that's a real shame to me. That's still the case.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. I know what you mean about you not doing it to make a statement because it's just normal. It's just your baby who needs to be fed, and yeah. so that's just what you do. But I've breastfed at um, conferences, legal conferences specifically, and at those times, not so much when I'm just you know out at the shops or whatever. I kind of felt, oh, what are people going to say to me? What am I going to have to be prepared to defend myself? And it's really a shame that we still have to deal with that. Yeah, it
2: is. And, and I, I haven't come up against that this time at all. I had a few comments last time. And to be honest, I would have been very surprised if there was any backlash given last week where I was at that that particular event. And yeah, it's not about making a point. It's just about normalising it, I guess. And and the more people see, and the, it's like anything, isn't it? You know, if, if the more people see role modelling and, and, you know, um, people doing things visibly, then, you know, we don't have to stay at home and breastfeed. We don't have to, you know, go to the toilet and pump our milk. It's, you know, it's not, that's not the case. Um, and we shouldn't be made to feel that way. And I think, normalizing it is a very positive thing but you know I did I didn't do it for that I wasn't you know it wasn't a crusade it was just this is like exactly like you say Lucy my baby needed to be fed so that's what I had to do Mm. and at the time I was speaking at the same time so I had to do both (laughs) that
1: was it. And the ability to breastfeed in public I think comes with having some confidence in yourself as well you know you have to be able to feel confident enough to be able to say I might get some comments from people but it's going to be okay and I'll be able to respond to them and I know that confidence and female confidence is a large part of the message that you um, want to bring to women with your business mumbelievable, believable um, because of that huge shift that can come when you go from being you know a career woman and, and a working person to all of a sudden being that as well as being a mum. So what do you normally suggest to women who face that confidence challenge after becoming mums? There's a few things and they're
2: relatively straightforward actually to begin with. It's to allow yourself the time to acknowledge that actually a massive change has happened. And that's what I didn't give myself at all. So my first son was born five years ago and I completely underestimated how much I would change and my identity shifted completely on its axis. And that's where this whole idea for the blog initially and then the business came from was because I didn't give myself that time. I just went back to normal. Literally, the day he was born, I got dressed in the hospital and put makeup on because I was that and that to me represents how little I understood about what was going to happen to me because as much as I tried to prepare for it I had done a pretty poor job you know I'd read all the books about being a parent but actually looking after myself I I was totally unprepared for and I think you know culturally what we do is we we are very skillfully prepared for our exams and our academic success and, and for our professional success but there's very little in the way of support for how our identity shifts when we become a parent and how we combine that then with all our, all the other aspects of our identity so the first thing for me is to give yourself the time to acknowledge that a huge change has happened and that that takes time to get to grips with and to get to know yourself and the person that you have become and to be kind to yourself it sounds very very ridiculously simple but it's so hard to do when you're putting so much pressure on yourself. And I, I don't know if you, you guys have found the same, but you know, as a, as a high achieving professional person, I have high standards of myself. And when I feel like I can't do something, that makes me feel weak. And it makes me feel like I'm not accomplishing what I want to accomplish. And, and being a parent was very much that. I felt like I couldn't settle this baby and I didn't know what I was doing all the time. And so therefore, I, you know, the, the lack of control, I found very, very hard to deal with. And I wasn't kind yes. to myself about that you know, I was brutal to myself. I was like, come on, you know, you are a capable, educated person who is privileged enough to be able to have this baby. And you can't even get showered before 11am. You know, how ridiculous is that? And really berating myself for it. So I think time and patience and kindness are the foundations of getting to grips with that shift that happens when we become a parent. And to keep your confidence, right? Yeah, completely. It's very, you know, going back to what I said about you know, the lack of control, if we don't have control over a situation and we don't feel like we're doing things that we're familiar with, then confidence dips, right? So Mm. it's a very logical path then that our confidence is almost shattered when we, you know, a lot of people find that when, when we have children because it's new and it's completely unpredictable and it's unlike any other situation. And this is why I think it's really, really a shame that we're not supported more widely as a society when so many of us will have you know, we'll undergo this transformation and we'll have this experience of becoming a parent and that it's so, it's so normal and it's so widespread that so many of us experience the same thing. And yet we don't really talk about it in advance. We talk about it afterwards now, which is wonderful. So we have the support of people that are going through the same thing. And I don't really believe that, I don't know if you guys would agree, but I don't really believe that it's entirely possible to logically prepare yourself for the emotional reaction that happens after you have a baby, because obviously the hormonal response and, you know, every baby's different and and all of that kind of thing. I don't think it's possible to really prepare yourself adequately for... And it's
0: brand new. It's not something you've done before, like starting a new job and you can kind of get yourself as prepared as possible. But I love that you've mentioned this identity shift and the confidence, especially because that is... The message that you and I connected over originally when we met yeah. a couple of years yeah. ago. And you and one other person, Kirsten Bowes, who's a psychologist here in Perth, are the first two people who I found who were actually talking about this identity shift. And that was what I struggled with the most. And when I found your blog and when I read her book, I was like, wow, finally, someone's talking about this thing that we're supposed to pretend doesn't exist because everything becomes all about the baby and nobody cares about me anymore. <laughs> it's very self-centered but really that's what it's like but it can feel like that and that's
2: such a tragedy really isn't it because you know this baby is an extension of yourself and it's such a privilege to be a parent but it's such a change and you know we go from being this professional independent person to having somebody depending on us all the time and I can't really imagine many more profound changes in your life that happen so instantly as this, you know, this baby leaves your body and then that's what happens. And it completely alters our identity. And it just takes time to get to grips with that. And it's a very positive thing because, you know, I don't know if, you've, if you have found the same, but my children have taught me more about myself than, and about the kind of person that I want to be and who I want to be than anything else which is wonderful, but that doesn't happen immediately.
1: I definitely think that, you know, after you have children, you have to change and grow. And Mm. more than likely it's going to reveal aspects to yourself or create new or uncover aspects that you didn't, expect to find. We did an episode recently about not letting motherhood derail your career. And I had a conversation with a woman just today and she said, I'm I'm not having kids because I'm really worried about the impact that it will have on my career. So we had a great conversation around the fact that yes, there's going to be some impact on your career, but there are things that you can do and plans that you can make to, to minimize those kinds of issues. But In your case, I wouldn't say that motherhood derailed your career, but it totally took it in a different direction, didn't it?
2: It did. It sort of felt like that is what I had to do because I'd left my, I was um, a communications manager for a large housing company in 2012. I left my job and I was struggling to fall pregnant. And I believed that the stress of my job, we'd had a few restructures and, you know, my, my role had kind of expanded each time that had happened. And I didn't feel that it would be possible for me to do my job in the way that it was at the time and have a family. I didn't think the two would be conducive. Not to say that the company wasn't open to the idea of flexibility because it was on my boss worked flexibly. The company was amazing, but I felt like I had a choice to make either the job, which I loved, or my future family, which I wanted more than anything. By the end of my notice period, I was pregnant. So it was the right decision to quit. And like I said, I wasn't discriminated against. I wasn't forced out, but I knew there was a choice. So I freelanced PR and comms projects after that, after I left. And while I was pregnant and um, in the first sort of year after Zav was born um, in 2013. And then I just had this kind of, I wanted more and I missed being part of a team. I started to mourn my career that I'd been I'd, um, parked I hadn't given it up because I'd carried on but I'd, I'd been doing things in a different way and as it dawned on me what had happened to me and why I was so unhappy and as I started to rebuild and then I started the blog and initially it was only a hobby so as I started to explore those issues of confidence and identity and the response happened which was you know that thousands of women apparently had exactly the same experience and you know that became apparent to me I sort of felt compelled to do something to help people that were in the situation that I'd found myself in. And I also felt like I could contribute a lot to that community of people. Mm. And so I started running confidence workshops for people going back into the workplace privately and then in companies because I thought I'm not, I'm not an HR professional, but I can use my communications. I can leverage my communications experience to bring communications and HR teams together in companies to bring the policies to life that so many companies have in place but they don't have the communication support to be able to get the messages out there so that employees can utilize the policies that are in place to help them and support them. So initially it felt like I was starting completely new and I experienced the age old, you know the imposter syndrome and all of that kind of stuff um, hit me quite hard because of that and I was also recovering my own confidence as a result of becoming a parent as well. So it's been a really, really interesting and amazing and rewarding journey so far. And I feel like it's just getting started, actually. And I do, I love the fact that motherhood has, has opened up a completely new world professionally for me. But part of that is, you know, it's important to note that part of that is because as senior level positions at the level that I left the workforce at aren't really available to me on a flexible basis. Not to say that I don't want to work, you know, a full-time contract because I do at the moment, more so
0: than in my business, but I don't want to work nine to five because I want to be able to be there for my family. So now that you've consulted to some of these employers and you've got kind of experience from both sides, really, what do you say are some of the ways that we can help encourage these businesses to be more flexible and to be more accommodating for working parents?
2: To be more accommodating for working parents, I think obviously flexibility is a huge thing, but park that for a second it's the really simple stuff that no investment is required whatsoever so for example I have met so many people who've said that when they come back after maternity leave there isn't even anyone there to meet them on their first day and so they're coming in after a career break of longer than a year or after a maternity leave of a year or less and they've you know gone through this entire identity shift that's happened to them not to mention the changes that have happened in the company while they've been away. So some of them are walking into literally a different, they might be in a different office or a different team, they might be walking into a different job. Everything's changed in that time. And so to have someone there who can help you make the transition from the person that's walking in from the outside to, to going back in to be part of the team and you know having a buddy or a mentor or a phased you know, re-entry into the workforce with that support, it's so vital and it's so,
1: it's missed by so many. It's such a small thing for people to be able to do. And I remember the third time that I returned in my absence, the company had moved buildings and I think visited the new building perhaps once, maybe during that maternity leave. But on my first day back to work, I was met by someone in human resources, but my phone wasn't even turned on. So they hadn't even organized for the phone to be reconnected for my first day back in the office. I didn't have quite my stationery sort of supplied. And, and I think that I'd been with the organization for so long and you know, returned to work a couple of times before that there was still an, almost an element of she knows the ropes and she knows what's going on. And they're just forgetting that fact that every time you return, there's changes that are made and there are different needs of someone coming back into the office. Absolutely.
2: And you've had a different baby. You've had a
1: different experience. You know, there could be other issues there that,
2: you know, that you didn't experience before. They all need to be treated as different. You know, you're you're absolutely right. And I think that it's personalising the employee experience, isn't it? Yes. And simple things like that, and that's just one example of many, can go a really, really long way to the entire experience of somebody's return and it's beyond that as well you know it's it the, the return is quite a short scene as quite a short period of time but the childcare juggle the you know the different phases that the children go into sleep regressions and then you've got you know children starting school and then mm-hmm. other issues that happen as children get older um parents of, of both genders have very different experiences of, of emotional needs and you know the things that happen to them in their families and, and what that means for them professionally and their ability to juggle their career with their family life so I think you know just generally being more human and and you know the the personalizing the return is is part of that but from a management point of view having conversations about somebody's personal life and I think you know Lucy in the past we've talked about the you know bringing your personal life to work and to bring Mm. your work to life That is so important, especially for parents, because being a parent gives you so much that you can leverage professionally. It makes you a better professional um, in so many ways. Um, And that, I think, is underestimated by a lot of companies. So so to become more human and to personalise the experience for parents, I think, would be probably the the biggest thing. Oh, and communication. So, you know, while somebody's away. It's happened in companies that I've worked for where um, people that were away from the workplace on parental leave would be left out of staff conferences or um, christmas parties that kind of thing because they're out of sight out of mind and i think if you give people the option to come in for a lunch once a month with the team or you know not just not the formal keep in touch sessions that are arranged and a lot of a lot of the time that those aren't being utilized in the in the ways that would be most beneficial but informal opportunities to remain Ah. part of the workplace that are on on you know agreed between the person who's away and um the person who manages them um can go a really long way to helping people you know like us who are away away from the workplace feel like they're still part of something and that they haven't completely detached themselves from that Place which is so important to them. And I
0: think a key to that is what you said about making it optional. It's interesting you mentioned that because we just had a conversation about this very thing in our Facebook group. You may have even seen it last week, or maybe it was over the weekend, about when women are on leave and whether they should keep in touch or what you know how far that should go and there were uh, um, arguments for and against but one of the comments was I don't want to keep well in fact a couple of the comments weren't they I don't want to keep in touch this is my time with my baby there's enough going on in my life and I don't want that added pressure and I think the point that you make is true which is that we need to just open up the options you know we're not saying you must yeah. keep in touch or you must or we don't want to know you for 12 months it's just mm. we can have
1: it either way and whatever works for you and it might change during that time too absolutely it can be one way you know so it can be that the organization as you say provides opportunities and provides information and the woman or the the man as the case may be may choose to just absorb that information but not do anything about it or you know I look at it and I think at the very least, if you intend to return to a workplace, it's probably a good idea to at least read, you know, who's been promoted or who's left or who started or something else that's kind of important to the continued life of the organization. Yeah. But if you choose not to participate actively, then, you know, you make that choice.
0: Another thing that I know you talk about, Ashla, is about we're helping to influence these things regardless of what our role is within the organisation. So, for example, although I might not be the owner of a business, there are still things that I can do from my position to help make change. What kind of things do you yeah. suggest?
2: I think it comes down to that confidence thing that we've, you know, the theme that we've as we run through, everything that we've talked about so far. So if you are someone who is confident to um, approach senior people of influence within a company and suggest that things could be done differently and you know perhaps present some evidence or some research ideas of different initiatives that other companies are running goes a long way especially if they're in the same industry because you've got that competitive nature of, of leaders but if you're if you're not somebody who has that confidence then find someone who can support you because if you look for somebody internally who has that more of an influence than you do, you'll feel more confident to be able to go with them and get with their support um, speak to the people who can make change happen. So I think that's a, the that's a start really is to build your case, do your research, um, try and find other similar organisations that are doing similar things and if they can be in the same
1: industry, that's, that's really strong. So given that you've just had your second child... Let me ask you, what is one piece of advice that you would have given to yourself as a new mum now that you've had two? If you (laughs) were starting, if you could kind of go back and whisper to yourself, what would you be telling yourself? Well, I
2: did um, hypnobirthing with Neo, my second baby, and I have found myself using the techniques of breathing and Mm. kind of visualizations and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Since he's been born, when mm. things have become stressful, and I, I've mm. found I've had a really big issue with guilt about splitting mm. myself between my first and my second baby since yeah. he came along. And because my eldest is five, he's got more of an adjustment to make than a much younger child would would have, I guess, because he's had five years of uninterrupted attention. So the hypnobirthing exercises have really helped me beyond, way beyond what I thought they would. Because I thought it would just get me through the labour. It was kind of my pain management plan. Was was that really? But the breathing has really helped me to just regulate myself and just to be feel calmer and. More in control is probably not the right word, I suppose. Yeah, just just to, just to feel calmer. So um, mm. to discover hypnobirthing a lot earlier would have helped me a lot more, I think, because I would have been able to understand um, the emotional response that was happening and um, and respond accordingly, rather than just you know be all up in my head and not able to do anything with the emotions that were happening.
0: I'm doing the hypnobirthing this time around too. I'm oh, so excited yeah. for it. I, I also wish I discovered it with my first pregnancy, but uh, I'm excited anyway. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, good. I'm so pleased. I would recommend it to anybody. It was, it was incredible and it still mm-hmm. is. And I, I had no idea it would be so useful for the, like other areas of my life.
0: Now, my favorite question to ask everybody is this one. Do you have a mantra?
2: My mantra is have courage and be kind. Mm-hmm. I say it to my children. Well, I've, I haven't said it's Neo yet um but I I I just heard it yeah yeah yeah. thumbs up (laughs) yeah and I think it applies in all walks of life but more than anything it applies to me now I haven't done it to myself in the past and it's meant that I have suffered and I have struggled more than I needed to and unnecessarily and I can do things that scare me and sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't but I need to be brave and do things like that do frighten me, um, or that are new and that I haven't done before. And I need to be kind to myself. And I want my children, I want the people I work with and for to exhibit those traits, because I believe that with courageousness and with kindness, the world would be infinitely better. And we can't have too much of those things right now. So Mm -hmm.
1: So true. And we always like to leave our interviews by giving listeners our guests, one piece of advice that they would suggest in terms of managing this juggle of work and family?
2: I think my piece of advice would be about compassion for yourself and for everybody. And I am I'm, I I'm hesitated a little bit there because I just feel like I'm a bit of a broken record with that sentiment. <laughs> but for me, I can't overestimate how much it's made a difference to actually just have a little bit of compassion for myself because it's really tough, you know, juggling yeah our home life and our professional life is difficult. Actually, you know, if I could be a little bit indulgent and have another, one other thing, it would be don't be afraid to change things up if they're not working. Because so often I've fallen into the trap of, you know, setting something up and then, you know, flogging it to death because I have thought it would work and it didn't. But actually just change things because things change all the time and the the moving goalposts of the needs of our family and our work change all the time. So, um, Mm. so yeah, compassion for yourself and for the situation and to to, um, don't be afraid to change things if they're not working.
0: Especially with young children. Mm. I remember the first year back at work after having Lily and my working arrangements changed every couple of months because things just changed so quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good one to keep in mind. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. So many interesting things. Now, I'm going to send listeners to your website, which is mumbelievable.com, where you've written lots of blog posts about your own journey, your personal story and lots of other things as well. And I also want to mention your confidence cards that you made and that you sell, which are little quotes and sayings that um are really written like the back of a postcard so you can send them to your friends. In fact I sent one to Jo. Yes, she
1: did. Aww. I was the recipient. It was lovely
2: that's so nice I, my friend gave me one the other day oh. she brought round, yeah she brought round dinner which was amazing and she gave me one of my own cards and wrote, wrote yeah. on the back of it which I was so touched by
0: was like, take your own advice you yes. need to remember this
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. very nice
0: we'll include the links in the show notes so people can go and have a look and you do oh, ship, thank you you do ship to Australia so they can buy them here too
1: yeah mm. they can <laughs> Thank you so much, Ursula. It's been lovely to talk to you and listen to that beautiful baby cooing in the background.
0: Oh, thank you both. Likewise, it's been really lovely. I've really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoyed the episode, then please subscribe so that you don't miss any further episodes. Give us a rating and review while you're there and let us know what you think.
0: As always, if you want to continue the conversation with us or maybe if you have some questions for Ursula, come and join us on Facebook at The Juggle Community. I'm sure she'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. Not that we've prepared her in advance, but she won't mind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She won't now. See you next time, everyone. Happy juggling.